You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We can all talk the talk. Do the Christianese. Praise God, brother. Yeah, hallelujah. We can all talk the talk. But can we walk the walk? Hard. Very difficult. As I said, it's one thing to agree with what's being taught. Shaking your head, nodding your head, even saying, amen, brother, preach it. Yeah, amen. What happens after that proves your dedication to the Lord. After you've heard the word of God, after you understand the word of God, after you take and apply the Word of God in your life and you've recommitted yourself to Christ, what happens next? In our society, many people know Christians speak, but how many actually live it out? In today's message, Pastor Dave wants you to know that if you're following after Christ, you need to give all of yourself to Him. There's no such thing as being halfway about it. He wants your all and wants to change your life for the better. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Nehemiah chapter 10 as he begins his message, what happens when you say amen? You are We're going to be looking at Nehemiah 10. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah is sandwiched in between Ezra and Esther. The book of Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. 10. I call this message, what happens after you say amen? What do we do after we say amen? What happens after we say amen? I'm calling this message. So, so we've been making our way through this incredible book and uh, we're coming, actually coming near the end. We have a few more chapters to go, but there's a lot of names in the coming chapters. So, but there's also some things that we need to look at. There's only 13 chapters in the book. So we're in chapter 10 today. So the walls have been completed. The gates have been hung in place. The people then gathered around together at the water gate. And Ezra the scribe stood on a platform and read to them from the word of God. It probably was the Torah. It probably was the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses. From time to time, the Levites among the people would pause and help them to understand what was being said. Very important to not only hear the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, but it's also important to understand the word of God. What is it saying? And more importantly, what is it saying to you? So it's important that we look at it that way. So as the people heard the word of God being read by Ezra, they began to understand its meaning. And when they started to understand their meaning, they began to weep. They began to sob because their hearts were being convicted. And this is what the word of God does. Word of God might not necessarily bring you to tears, but it should convict if need be. It should be rebuke if need be. It should be 
convincing if need be. Whatever the word of God needs to do in your heart, it should happen and you should allow it to take place. But they began to weep because they were being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they cried out, blessed be the Lord, the great God. They lifted up their hands and they shouted, amen and amen. And the people stood in agreement with what they had heard. Amen simply means so be it or I agree. Upon hearing the word of God, they bowed their heads and they began to worship. They turned their faces towards the ground, not even been able to keep their head up. For in their hearing of the word of God, they began to see the goodness of God. They began to see the greatness of God. They began to see his glory, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. They began to realize more about God than they had ever known before, as found in his word, as they were reading through those beautiful scriptures penned by Moses, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. They obeyed the word of God. They built booths outside their homes and they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering the 40 years in the wilderness that Israel spent. But then their celebrations turned to humiliation as they recognized their sinful state. Again, this is what the word of God does. This is what the word of God does when we begin to recognize how short we have fallen from God's perfect plan when we recognize how short we've come and how much we've missed the mark. And by the way, that's what sin means. Sin means to miss the mark. It is actually an archery term. It's an archery term. And when they shot, if they missed the bullseye, they sinned because they missed the mark. Their celebrations turned to humiliation. Feeling a need for brokenness, they confessed their sin. They began fasting, and they began wearing sackcloth, which was a sign of deep humiliation, of deep sorrow. Because as they draw nearer and nearer and nearer to the Lord, they were suddenly aware of just how far away they really were. I've said this to you many times, and I don't mind repeating you. The Word of God is like a mirror to our souls. When we read the Word of God, it's like looking into a mirror, and we see the things that we need to correct. I mean, the word of God tells us that we need a savior. The word of God tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word of God tells us how desperately we need a savior. And then the word of God tells us who that savior is. It's the son of God, Jesus Christ. And we're told that and we glean that from the word of God. It tells us how to get to him, how to come to him, how to worship him, how to speak to him, how to pray to him. The word of God tells us all these things as we read it and understand it and glean from it. This is what the word of God does in our hearts. In the gospel of Luke, it talks about Peter's conversion. And when Peter recognized and believed that Jesus was the son of God, he fell to his knees. He fells to his knees and he cries out, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And that's what the word of God does. The word of God quickens your heart to the reality of who you really are. This is what happens when we draw close to the Lord. We see how far we've fallen from his perfection. But then he begins to refine us. He begins to quicken our hearts to the truth. And he allows the Holy Spirit to come and lead us and guide us into the truth of Jesus Christ. And if you're willing, you believe. And if you're not willing, you have a hard heart and a stiff neck. But when godly sorrow wells up in your heart, it leads to repentance. And all repentance is is turning away. 
All repentance is, is turning from one thing that was away from God, turning to the one thing that is God, turning around. And when we turn around from our sin, who's there waiting for you? It's a Bible study. Jesus. Jesus is waiting for you when you turn. When you turn. Once we've celebrated God's grace and rejoiced in his love, confession is the next natural step. Confessing our sins. So they began to pray, chapter 9. And this beautiful prayer was about remembrance. As they prayed, they remembered the history of the nation and all the things that happened to them and how faithful the Lord was all the way through the time they spent in Egypt, the time they spent in the wilderness, all the times they were faithful. And that's what the first five books do. The first five books are history lessons. It's a history of the nation, how the nation was formed, how the nation was built, who built the nation. You know, some people say, why did God call the Jews? And I said, because he's God. He can call whomever he wants. And they happened to call Abraham whose name was Abram at that time, and it started from there. But you see the history, and you go through and all this thing, and then all of a sudden you see the depravity of man and how man fell from the grace of God, how he fell flat on his face, and then the curse was put on there. And ever since the curse, everything's been leading to Jesus Christ. And as we study in the book of Revelation, everything is being restored. Everything that happened in the garden, everything that happened in the fall is now being restored because God is there for completion. They saw how faithful God was to them, how faithful God has been. You can look at that in your own life. You can look back in your own life and see God's faithfulness. I know you can. You can look back and see where, he, where you were in a certain place and how he brought you out of that place and how he taught you and loved you and showed you different things and how he saved you or maybe healed you and all those kind of things. You can see that, how God has been so faithful to you. The scripture says he'll complete it till the end. He started the work, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. They read how their forefathers rebelled against God, how they became stiff-necked and they rebelled against everything of God, how they wouldn't go into the promised land when 10 of them were so afraid, oh, there's giants in the land. But Caleb and Joshua said, no, we can take them with God's help. And they ended up wandering for 40 years. They were stiff-necked and all the times they rebelled against God. And every time they rebelled against God, God would chastise them and they would cry out to God and God would come back and help them again. All through the Old Testament, you see that time and time and time again. They remembered God's faithfulness. They remembered his grace and they remembered his goodness, which was such a contrast to their stiff-neckedness. Stiff-neckedness simply means stubborn. Simply means they were stubborn people, hard-hearted. They continue to remember the Lord's faithfulness. They, they understood why God acted the way he did. In other words, reading those words and reading those things that they saw in the first five books of the Bible, they understood why they were taken into captivity. They understood why they had to spend 70 years in captivity in Babylon. They understood that because they hadn't lived up to what God had told them to do. They hadn't obeyed the law. They hadn't done this. They started going after idols. They hadn't given the land rest in Sabbath. All that is found in the first five books. But they refused to do that. But the people agreed. And they all said, amen, amen, so be it. We agree. We'll do this. Yeah, we will. So this led the people to write a new covenant. They actually wrote out a document of a covenant about how they were going to new behave to the Lord, how they were going to obey his commands. They actually wrote out a covenant, which is where we are now. You know, it's one thing 
to offer the Lord a passionate prayer of confession. They did that in chapter 9. But it's something completely different to live the obedient life after you said amen. That becomes a whole new ballgame. After you agree with what God says, are you living the life that God has called you to do? Now, someone once said that the victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Jude tells us that the Lord is able to keep us from stumbling. But if we do stumble, he's always there to lift us up and get us moving again. Psalm 37. In our, we love Psalm 37. We quote it a lot. But in Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hands. I love that. I love that. And taking it into the New Testament, when we studied the book of 1 John, when we studied the book of 1 John, and I thought I had it marked. I don't. Excuse me. When we studied the book of 1 John, it says... He talks about not seeing. He said in verse in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, for he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the entire world. John recognizes the fact that it's tough to live this life. He recognized the fact that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we're going to sin. We may be perfected in heaven, and that may be our standing in heaven, but here on earth, we're in, un, in a process. We talked about being under construction. The nation Israel had sinned, and now they were taking the necessary steps to rededicate themselves to the Lord in obedience to his word. This is one of the reasons why we study the word at Calvary Chapel line by line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, so that you can get the entire counsel of God. Because we need that entire council. So now they talk to talk. They talk to talk. We're going we're gonna to commit. We're going to do that. Let's make a covenant. They talk to talk. And now they had to walk the walk. We can all talk to talk. Do the Christianese. Praise God, brother. Yeah, hallelujah. We can all talk to talk. But can we walk the walk? Hard. Very difficult. As I said, it's one thing to agree with what's being taught. Shaking your head, nodding your head, even saying, amen, brother, preach it. Yeah, amen. What happens after that proves your dedication to the Lord. After you've heard the word of God, after you understand the word of God, after you've taken applied the word of God in your life, and you've recommitted yourself to Christ, what happens next? What happens after we all say, amen? When you're sitting there, and you're saying amen, are you saying it for yourself, or are you saying for the person sitting for you and going, this is for you? <laughs> or are you thinking of somebody else? Oh, this is for that person over there. I know they need to be listening to this. No, 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 no. It's for you. It's for you. It's coming right at you like a freight train. It's for you. It's, it's for you. What you do next. What you do after you hear the word of God and after you agree and say amen, what you do next proves your dedication. It proves your commitment to the Lord God. It proves it and, might I say, it will be evident in your life. I'm not preaching sinless life. You don't hear me saying that. We are all going to stumble at one time or another. We are all going to fall at one time or another. So what am I trying to say? Were the people of the nation of Israel, did they mean what they prayed? Or were they just blowing smoke? A lot of times, 
we're sinning and we get caught and we're remorseful and we might even have tears and pray, but are we remorseful because we got caught or is there something really happening in your heart that tells you that you need to get right with God? So the first thing they do, thought I'd never get there, did you? The first thing they do is they sign a covenant. They sign the covenant. You can find that in verses 1 through 27. 1 through 27. I'm just going to read the first verse. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hachaliah, and Zedekiah. And then it goes on from there. It goes on and on and on from there. You can count the number of those people, probably coming close to 80, who signed this document. They put their name on this. When they put their seal on this document, it was no significant, insignificant matter. It was a serious matter. It was a solemn oath. They were making a vow to the Lord. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy 29, if you want to turn to Deuteronomy 29, I'm going to read verses 10 through 13 in Deuteronomy 29. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives. Also, the stranger who is in your camp, from the ones who cut your wood to the ones who draw your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people to himself, and that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you, just just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, make this covenant alone. And if you go down there a little further, it tells you, don't break the covenant. Don't break the covenant. It'll be disastrous for you. In Numbers, in the book of Numbers, in chapter 30, it begins like this. It says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but do everything he said he would do. Why? Because the oath involved the name and possibly judgment of God. It cannot be taken lightly. This kind of oath cannot be taken lightly. Solomon warned in Ecclesiastes 5 about taking the oath, and Jesus himself warned about using empty oaths in Matthew 5 and Matthew 23. Should we believers bind ourselves with oaths as we seek to walk with the Lord and serve him? I mean, should we take an oath like this or a vow like this and bind ourselves? I think probably not. Because our relationship with Jesus makes our relationship to the Father as that of who? Children. Our relationship with Jesus makes our relationship to God the Father as children. For as many as received him, they've given him the right to become sons of God and daughters of God. We are now children of the Most High God. Our Heavenly Father wants our relationship to him based on faith, shown through what? Love. He wants our relationship to him to be by faith shown in love. There are no examples in New Testament about believers taking an oath to the Lord. Our obedience should be a joyous response to all that God has done for us. And you can find this in Colossians chapter 3 
in verse 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death the members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he goes on and on. Oaths are usually made based on fear. I better do this. If I don't do this, God's going to do this. That's fear. If I don't do this, God's going to hit me with his wooden spoon. God will judge me. Fear is not a great motivator for God to live in. We, We do not succeed by making promises to God. We succeed when we believe the promises of God and act upon them in faith. Did you hear what I said? We don't succeed by making promises to God. We succeed when we believe the promises of God and act on them through faith. That's how we succeed. We dwell on this. Mark and I dwell on this. We even had an addiction conference with this theme in 2 Corinthians 5. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 14, we read, For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. The love of Christ compels us. And and in the New King James, it says the love of Christ constrains us. And what we did was we took the two different avenues and looked at it. And Paul introduces the subject of love of Christ as a constraining force in his life. It's the love of Christ that constrained Paul from going against him, from doing other things. When we realize just how much Christ loved us. And just how much he gave up for us on the cross, that constrains us from going against us. It constrains us from doing and acting out and doing evil things. Paul's not really talking about the motivations to ministry, though we hear it taught this way. It's not really that way. Whenever Paul talked about the love of Christ, he was only thinking of one thing. What was that? The cross. Absolutely. The cross. When Paul talked about the love of Christ, he was only thinking of the cross. The only way God has ever sought to show or to prove to you that he loved you was by sending Jesus Christ to a cross. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died on a cross. Whenever God wants to declare his love for you, it is always through the cross. Always through the cross. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Whew, big word, propitiation. What's it mean? Jesus came the appeasement of God's law. He became the appeasement. We couldn't fulfill the law. We were helpless. We couldn't do it. But Jesus did it. He appeased God's law by going to the cross, becoming the perfect sacrifice for you and me. That's what a propitiation means. For God commended or demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. I read that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And always God's love for you is tied up to the death of Jesus Christ for you. Never forget that. Never forget that God's love for you is solely based on Jesus' death on the cross. Solely. They never thought the love of God apart from the cross because of God's demonstration. His supreme demonstration of love. Greater love have no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. 
Pastor Dave is making his way through the book of Nehemiah, a book that follows Nehemiah and his exceptional leadership as he guides the people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah followed the lead of the Lord, and it's clear he was in God's will as he prepared to go and received blessing and favor from the king. But once he steps out to go, he encounters trial after trial. Have you ever noticed that following God looks like that? You know you're supposed to go, but when you finally step out in faith, that's when the attack of the enemy seems relentless. You can take that as a sign that you're headed in the right direction. Let the enemy's attack move you to greater faith. We're so glad you joined us today. The book of Nehemiah is filled with wisdom for life and leadership in a broken world, and you won't want to miss a moment. If you've already missed one, that's okay. You can head on over to our website, assurehoperadio.com, to pick up the ones you missed. There's also a link to our live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Assure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, stop by and see us. You can find all the information you need, including directions and service times, on that same website. Don't forget to head over to assurehoperadio.com. There's so much more waiting for you there. Well, thanks for coming today. We've come to the end of our time together, but we'll be back next time with more from Assure Hope. Show.